DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah Jazz hosting the Charlotte Hornets tonight. Are you sick of the winning streak? No. Just me talking about it? No. Eight in a row. No, absolutely not, no. Well, you just went right to nine in a row with Washington. I'm totally expecting them to win, for sure. Uh, I think we all are. It's seven straight after the win over the Knicks, 12 out of 13. They're going to lose again. They're going to lose multiple games again, but I don't want it to be tonight. So how much of this do you have to do just to keep pace with the others in the West? Because I've talked about how the Lakers haven't lost to a sub-500 team. The, the Thunder are now on a great run. Is this just what they're going to do unless they're playing each other? We got that kind of separation in the West? I think so. It doesn't matter as much to me, though. To me, it's about what is your team doing by itself. As long as you're playing good ball this year, I don't want to hear last year was, oh, my gosh, we don't want to get in that 4-5 series because we're going to get worked by Houston. I don't feel that this year. You may get wor- You may lose. If you get to 4-5, you you're going to get a really good team. You're probably going to get a really good team no matter what. So what difference does it matter what really good team? So I'm, if they end up four, I'm not going to stress, oh, they got to beat the five, and now they got to beat the one in the second round. I get all that, uh, but I don't care. Let's see what you got. I think your team, speaking of the Jazz, is capable of competing with any of those teams, right? They're, they're still holding steady at a game at a second. I think they're tied with Houston now for fourth and fifth, and you got the Clippers in there and Denver ahead of them. Uh, so it's basically, all right, fine, so be it. You're going to play quality teams probably in every round as long as you survive, and I don't have any problem with that. And it's not, I don't feel like I've felt in the last couple of years the ceiling, the limit, we knew where it was. We thought, okay, maybe they can win that first-round series. And if they do, they're going to get stomped in the second round. Or last year, yeah, it's going to be tough. I don't feel that way this year. I mean, like, they have a decent chance to beat no matter who they play in the West. All right, DJ, PK, and David Locke joins us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. Jazz have won seven in a row, and they absolutely uh, destroyed the Knicks. How far do you see this streak going? Is it Indiana on the 20th? I mean, the logic is that you drop one here somewhere. I mean, you just... You know, you don't have a 100% win probability. You might be favored, but favored means you're, you know, likely to win 55, 60, 65% of the time. So if you were flipping a coin that way, you would not get seven straight. So they've, you know, I, I don't know when, but uh, you drop one somewhere in here that you're not supposed to in theory. I don't know if that if that actually happens, but that's, that's what you'd expect. I don't know if it's Washington or Brooklyn or... Um, New Orleans is really good. New Orleans is really good. So, um, uh, New Orleans' record is stunning to me. Um, how good they were against us, and then they dropped the next one out. I, I'm kind of lost on what's going on there. Um, the numbers on them have been great for the last two years, and then they underperform. I'm a little surprised by I, – I almost still pick them to be the eighth playoff team, but, boy, they just can't keep – you know, they're, I think, five back in the loss column. That gets to be an awful lot. How legitimate is Jordan Clarkson as far as contributing what he's been able to contribute the rest of the season? So I think we talked about this, PK, when I was when they first got him. He's played 28 games prior to coming to Utah in his NBA career for a good team. And the other games he played weren't just on bad teams. 
they were on NBA teams that don't win as many games as college teams. And in those 28 games in the regular season with Cleveland, he was really good. He was about 46% from the field, 40% from three, really strong plus minus. Um, he was really, really good. That's pretty much what he's been for us so far, a little under those 46-40 numbers. I, I think what we're seeing out of Jordan Clarkson is it's pretty legit. So Niang's got a bigger role. Can he keep doing what he's doing? Is this a real deal, or is it too small a sample size to know what he's going to give you in the long run? So the things that I think you can get out of George Niang is he's going to play hard every night. He's going to do the right thing every night. Um, Sometimes there's going to probably be nights where athletically the mismatch is hard for him, but it's not as hard for him at the four as it is at the three. That's That's a change the coaching staff made. It's made an enormous difference. Um, I think that you, um, I, so I think that, you know, those aspects are legit. What's he shooting? 55% from three over the last 10 games. So that's, I mean, it does feel like everything he puts up is going to go in and he's pretty open, but that seems a little high. Like I, you know, I, there haven't been a lot of guys in the history of the game that have, have done that for an extended period of time. So unless he's suddenly Kyle Korver of a few years ago, I think that'll drop, but that doesn't mean he's not 45% or you know, and Boyan's been 22% recently, so you equalize those two out, and we're still just as good a shooting team. So I think, you know, the Jazz have been able to do a lot at that power forward position with players who, you know, I, 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 probably fair to say we're on their last leg, right? Pablo's not doing much in Houston. Jonas is now in Europe. Um, Joe Johnson was done. So the Jazz have found a way to, to use that position really effectively with players with skill sets that, that match what they need. And, you know, I think George is, fits into that. And then just his energy and effort and how he plays is great. Like, he just – so there's there's something to it. There's also – there's a bigger picture thing going on in the league right now that niche players – so a niche is probably not the right word, but dunkers and three-point shooters, Davis Bertans, Duncan Robinson, J.J. Raddick to some extent, but he's probably more versatile than that. One-dimensional dunkers, Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside, Jared Allen, Rashawn Holmes. These players actually are increasing in value because the league is so dead set on denying the rim and the three that those players that are still such good talent that they can get those shots are more valuable than ever before, and I think George fits into that. Where do you think Tony Bradley fits into that? Is he an emerging player? I don't know yet. Let's let Tony keep developing. Turned 22 the other day. There's some things he's doing that are really high level. His, his hands are terrific. He runs the floor and just changes who he are the way he runs the floor. He, he won the New Orleans game by stealing two possessions. I mean, there's a lot of those plays through a night, but like, gosh, you win a game by two points and Tony outruns the defense for two buckets in that night and grabs one or two offensive rebounds. Like, those are plays that win games. That's the difference between I tell you, a seven-game win streak is those kind of plays. So he's been he's been, you know, doing a lot of great things. His fouling is still at too high a rate when he thinks he's vertical. He's not. Um, And, you know, those are issues that as we progress and play better teams, I think will be more difficult for him. There aren't a lot of great backup centers in the league, though, so we've had a luxury of having the best for 14 minutes a night the last year, so I think we have a little bit of a skewed point of view on that, but 
Um, when it gets to playoff time, it's going to be interesting to see whether Tony's really ready. David Locke joined us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. You've been coming on weekly for years with us, and you uh, have preached for a long time the importance of the three-pointer. Now, that can mean a couple things. One, you got to make a high percentage of them. The Jazz are at 39%. That is number one in the NBA by more than a full point, which is a lot. So that is an excellent number. But they're 19th in three points attempted. And I remember you talking about Houston a few years ago saying, you gotta, you got to take them to make them. Should the Jazz be shooting more threes, even if it brings that outrageously good three-point percentage down, because you're probably, you know, there probably aren't as wide open, as good of threes available? What do you think? It's an interesting question. You know, last year, San Antonio and the L.A. Clippers were 1-2 in the league in three-point shooting, and neither of them took a lot. So... It gets into an interesting math equation. I've actually been trying to play around with it a little bit of like, okay, so you have 80 shots a night, and we kind of know now at this point that of those 80 shots, there's a certain amount that are going to be, you know, probably 20% of them have to be mid-range. So, you know, that's whatever, one-fifth of 80. I'm not, what's that, 17 or 18. Um, You know, then you're going to have a certain, ideally, you'd have 40% at the rim and 40% of threes. The rim, I think, is the most important thing. You've got to keep just pounding at the rim and keep it 36, 37, 38% at the rim. Uh, and then, so what is better at that point? Is an open mid-range two better than a contested three? The answer is actually closer than you think. It's probably still a contested three in the sense that you're uh, spreading the defense. Um, that you've worked for the possibility of other shots, and in the long run, if you're not taking that shot too early in the shot clock, more often than not, you'll get a better shot. But it gets close. It gets interesting, at least, in, in the discussion. Um, I think the key is that, you know, you really have to take you, – you've got to just be careful of what you're doing when there's still 10 seconds or 12 seconds on the shot clock. You know, the mid-range shot, when you still could develop an open three somewhere in that possession, is the one that probably needs to be avoided. Okay, how about Mitchell's mid-range game? Because it seems like it's substantially better. Are you okay with it? Um, it's outrageously good right now. Uh, the biggest one on Donovan, he's, you know, we're talking about growth. He's using 8% of his possessions, that includes turnovers, to shoot a free throw. If there's any way he could get that up to 10 or 11%, it would really help him a great deal in being efficient. Um, it would make it, right now he has to be really, really good to be efficient, like shoot you know, 50% from the field and some really difficult numbers. So if he could get that free throw number up a little bit, and I think, you know, if you're taking more shots at the rim than that floater, you probably can get your free throw line number up a little bit. He has, the coaching staff has done a brilliant job, and then Johnny Bryant and Donovan Mitchell have done a brilliant job of, of working on his floater and changing the angles by which he's coming into taking it. Early in the year, the floater was always dead set full steam ahead, you know, straight at the dropping big, going a million miles an hour and trying to well on the move, float it up with touch. That's a, that's, that's gotta be the most difficult. Well, that is the most difficult shot in the league because it's the lowest percentage shot. If you watch him now, he's coming in from the side. His jump seems to be more vertical than horizontal. He's worked incredibly hard to turn what was an inefficient shot into a more efficient shot. He's been outrageous at it recently. He's about 60% over the last 12 games. That actually can't last. No one has ever done that. It's right up there with George Nang's 50% three-point shooting. So, there, 
if he relies on that to be efficient, I, I don't think it'll end, end well. But he has improved on it greatly, if that makes sense. So do you think he and Boyan can both get to the free throw line more? Because they both get there quite a bit. They both shoot it pretty well. It seems like if they bump that five free throws a game or so that they're shooting, bump that up a little bit, that would seem to be a big advantage. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's a lot, right? It's probably just six or seven free throws. It's not, um, um, you know, it's not a – not, I'm not talking about a huge number. I'm not saying, like, he's got to go to ten. You know, for him, over 100 possessions, if he could you take one or two more possessions to go to the free throw line. So on a given, that's, you know, one or two or three free throws over a five-game span. We're not, we're not talking about a lot. You know, it's maybe one a game, maybe even a little less than that. If Royce Young is the one who goes to the bench when Conley comes back and I don't know what's going to happen, how do you think that transition back to coming off the bench would work if it does? Um. You know, I think Royce is one of the great team guys in the league, and so um, I think that, you know, I think she would be fine. Um, and I think, obviously, you know, what you're alluding to is that Joe has been so great as a starter. It seems, you know, whether that's actually what happened or just Joe got himself going, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but, you know, it's clear that, you know, Joe is one of our better players. I mean, he's great, so I think that there's – you certainly probably, Joe, has to say. The one that gets interesting to me on Royce that we can't undervalue is how great a rebounder he is right now. He's our second-best rebounder. He's in the 94th percentile of um, of all rebounders in his position, according to cleaning the glass. Um, for you know a team that's really playing quite small, right? We've got the biggest guy in the league, but Boyan and, and Royce are, our, are, are kind of our wings, and they're small. Um, he's vital, and... I, I don't know, honestly, how we close games without him on the floor. Now, that's not – luckily, I don't have to try to figure that out. But I'm watching, and he's making one or two rebounds a night that are key game-clinching rebounds. And you go back to that Clipper game earlier in the year where we probably haven't won, but we don't grab those rebounds. Um, he's been – Royce is – it's incredible to me how you're watching a game and you think to yourself, gosh, we need – oh, Royce did it. We need a little, oh, Royce did it. He's just terrific. So really, Quinn Snyder has three, there's probably three or four scenarios for him to consider as whenever Mike Conley is healthy. And one of them solves everything. They need Conley back because somebody else gets hurt and they plug Conley into whoever that is, whatever their role is, and, and takes those minutes. So that's one, and that just solves itself. But the other is what happens to the starting lineup, which I think is Royce goes to the bench and Conley goes in. What happens to the closing lineup? And then also just where do all those minutes come from? Because on another team, it'd be easy to say, well, he's a point guard, so the guy's getting the back of point guard minutes is out. But Moutier is playing better and better. So is Conley going to take a few minutes from everybody to get his minutes or is somebody going to sit and what happens to that closing lineup i mean let's go to moody for a second and boy aaron falk at utahjazz.com wrote just a terrific piece on moody so everybody make sure they go to utahjazz.com and and check out aaron's aaron's piece on that aaron does great work um but moody is one of the great stories of the year um he's such a good kid i haven't really gotten to know him well and i actually am going to based a little bit on what all the New York people were talking about yesterday who do know, did get to know him in the year and a half he was there, of what a wonderful guy he is and how happy they were for him that he's had success. But you're absolutely right. He's suddenly learned how to use all of his talents and all of his skills 
in a manner that makes him an incredibly valuable player, doing it inside the concept, buying in, you know, willing to alter who he is and change, which had, you know, led him to a lot of success. Maybe not, you know, we, we think about it as analysts. Oh, he wasn't, you know, hey, he'd made, you know, millions of dollars and been a top 10 pick playing one way. Hard for that guy to commit that, oh, I need to do something differently. And, and he just did, which is, you know, really pretty awesome. And so you're right, DJ. I think the easiest answer on this whole thing would have been, you know, two weeks ago, well, Mike Conley comes back and you just poor Emmanuel Moutier made a lot of progress, but now Emmanuel Moutier is on the bench. And guess what? I, I don't know that you can do that any longer. Um, he's been, frankly, too good. And so it, it, is, it is going to be a tricky, complicated reintegration of Mike Conley. Um, I, think there's, I think there's some things that have happened over the last few weeks that are really good for the long run of this team. It reminds me. I can get into it if you want me to. It reminds me of the Denver Nuggets of a few years ago. Um, but it's going to be complicated. At the same time, if we were on the air right now doing a talk show and we had a chance to trade, so this team's won seven in a row, 12 or 13 as it is. You know, it's got strengths, got weaknesses. And we had a chance to trade for Mike Conley at the trade deadline like we did last year. We would be over the moon for that opportunity and believe it's the piece that would push us toward a real championship contender. And I think that's still true. It was a tough integration early. He's going to figure out how to come back. Hopefully he's healthy. That's, I think, the most important thing. But if we traded right now nothing for Mike Conley to add a team that won seven straight and 12 of its last 13 and beat you know, Philadelphia and Milwaukee at home this year and the Clippers on the road, we would be thinking – this is the piece that pushes us over the top into being a true championship contender, and I still think that's the way it should be viewed. How much do you think that Quinn makes these decisions with an eye on how the team's playing now and how to play the next couple me- weeks, and how much does he make these decisions based on you probably need Conley's playoff experience when you get in what looks like is going to be a very difficult Western Conference postseason? I mean, I think the brilliance of all these coaches in this league that we don't understand as Twitterers and talk show hosts. And I certainly didn't get it when I hosted a show every day. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, you have some moments as a 49 year old looking back on your twenties and thirties as a talk show host with some embarrassment. My lack of understanding of how coaches coach for 82 games is on about the top of my list. Right. So um, you're absolutely right. DJ, their decisions are not, made about the final five minutes of a game on a Thursday night. They're usually made with what is the long-term ripple effect of that decision. And I think you're right that, you know, um, if the Jazz are going to be able to, to match up with the, the incredible length and prowess of the Lakers and the defensive um, ability of Avery Bradley and Kawhi, or excuse me, of uh, Patrick Beverly and Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George and what the Lake Montrose Harrell, what the Lakers, the Clippers might be able to throw out there. I think they're going to need to have Mike Conley as a important piece of that rotation. And here's the thing that's really positive. If you go and look at three and four man lineups in the NBA right now, the Jazz are the best, and there's three or four, Milwaukee, Utah, Houston, have Denver, they have the best there are in the league. The, the, the core groups, the Jazz, primary guys, even with all of our struggles early in the year, they were all bench struggles, if we remember correctly. So when you put Bogdanovich, Ingles, O'Neal, and Gobert on the floor, not even Donovan, 
That's the best four-man group in the NBA. It's plus 18. Now, you just start integrating pieces around our core three- and four-man groups, and we should be great. I mean, I'm really – I actually went on some number dives recently and just, you know, really everything I came up with was pretty stunningly encouraging. And that last one is maybe the most important, that we – all of the little negativism that we might still have lingering from, wow, what happened – was related to the fact that we would go up 10 and fall behind by two by the time the starters got back in the floor. When Jeff Green was on the floor, and I'm not saying this was Jeff Green's fault. This is just factual. When Jeff Green was on the floor, in over half of his games, he was minus eight or more. That's incredible because he was only playing 15 to 20 minutes a night. So that was the equivalent of being blown out by 25 or 30 Half the times he was on the floor. Now, that's not fair. That's not Jeff's fault. But that group, as it was, that's the number that was there. So that's not on Jeff. But that issue seems to have been rectified. So now, all the things that were incredible, when the Jazz went to Memphis on the road after getting blown out twice in a row, their starters were still plus 13 for 100 possessions in, in that stretch of time. And you're wondering, can you just get them out on the floor long enough to be able to, to – to hold off the bench's inadequacies. Well, if the bench doesn't have inadequacies and your starters are still plus 13, lights out, Irene. And we will leave on that note. David, thanks for a few minutes as always, and we will hear you on the call as the Jazz try to extend the win streak. Thanks a lot. Hey, PK. Yeah. I hope you're great, man. I hope you're absolutely terrific today. I am great. I couldn't be better. Well, I mean, I know you're great. I hope you feel great. I mean, I didn't doubt your greatness. Don't misunderstand that. Uh-huh. I mean, I know per- firsthand your greatness. But, I mean, I just hope your world's good and you're awesome. <laughs> Getting better every day. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz.